Muddy Knees Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, it's round two of the Champions League and there's an awful lot to look forward to. They'll be presenting the goal show. Can Barcelona bounce back from the Glasgow? Will Bayern make it 14 straight? And plucky outsiders Shakhtar and Man United repeat their match day one successes? And after putting 13 past Venlo, that is unlucky, what will happen when Ajax visit Atalanta? All that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, hi there. It's Tuesday, the 27th of October. A Champions League match day two gets underway this evening. And right now, joining us, we have Alvaro Romeo. Hola. James Horncastle. ¿Qué tal? Julian Laurence. Muy bien. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get that email, eh, Raph? Uh, hey, um, well, so much to discuss today. Been busy weekends, got a lot of Champions League action on the way. Let's begin with a quick roundup of what you're going to be chatting about. What are your moments of the week, James? Well, James, it's got to be the Insigne brothers now playing against each other. Benevento, Napoli, a local derby, uh, both of them scoring. Um, and uh, and yeah, a bit of Gattuso towards the end, fearing that Benevento were going to send a goalkeeper up and score in the stoppage time and, and deny his team a win. Um, that was definitely my highlight of the weekend. All right, then. What about you, Jules? I would go for Atem Benalfa, who had a really good game with Bordeaux, only for his second game. Uh, back in France, back in Liga, it's good to see him in that kind of form. They won 2-0 against Nîmes. Uh, and and I don't, there was something about, you know, a bit nostalgic to see him in that kind of form. He's 33 now, of course. He had... Six very average month in La Liga Valladolid last season, and to see him back in that kind of form is was really good and refreshing. So yeah, lovely stuff, Rafa. What about you? My moment of the week, James, was the four and a half thousand fans at Union Berlin watching the game with masks on, not screaming and singing. That was the condition, so they could only clap um, or bang pots and other musical instruments. So they spent actually the whole game not saying anything but using other means to make noise. And Alvaro, I guess I don't need to ask you what your big story of the week was. No, because it is Real Madrid beating Barcelona at Camp Nou 3-1 and all the talks about potential crisis at Real Madrid are over until the next Real Madrid game because you know how it goes over there but yeah it was a very nice and very important victory for them over Barcelona and I think that the person who embodied what Real Madrid is in comparison to Barcelona is Sergio Ramos a veteran experienced players who know which strings he has to pull to win a game as he did against Barcelona just getting a penalty from Lenglet and scoring it the Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shot bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Excellent. So, Alvaro, why don't you kick things off then? Saturday afternoon, Real Madrid handing the baton of Spanish giant in crisis to their friends at Barcelona. Sergio Ramos at the start of the show, scoring his 100th goal for Real Madrid uh, by converting his 25th consecutive penalty. Uh, he's amazing, isn't he? No wonder everyone loves him. No, uh, he's, an, he's an iconic player in Real Madrid. Uh, he has been the Spanish captain for a number of years too. And uh, yeah, he, he's probably the, the biggest leader in Spanish football at the minute. Uh, funnily enough, you were mentioning the 100 goals that uh, Sergio Ramos has scored in his career. Uh, do you know which uh, former defense 
duplicates, basically, doubles up the goals that Sergio Ramos has scored in his career. Ronald Koeman, the manager of Barcelona, who was also there the other day, uh, he scored more than 200 goals in his career, but that's another story. I think that the game was very important for Real Madrid. Uh, they managed to get their act together, and uh, the defeat was very disappointing for Barcelona in this context of uh, reconstruction, um, because I think that uh, Ronald Koeman was hired for a number of things. Uh, he has done some of them. For example, he's fighting the endemic stagnation that Barcelona had uh, for a couple of years. He changed the system, uh, he's trying to play differently, he's given a chance to the youngsters. Um, he wanted a striker that he never got, unfortunately for him. He even wanted Memphis, even though he's not a natural number nine. He wasn't given that, so I think that uh, the defeat has to be on Ronald Koeman a little bit too. Uh, he has triggered some changes, but still, I mean... Uh, you have to wonder why the team didn't have any tool, psychological or football related, to overcome the goal of Sergio Ramos, because after Ramos scored, Barcelona was uh, knocked out for about 20 minutes. Uh, why the changes came so late and uh, all together, three changes together, and why the team is broken in, uh, into two tectonic plates or whatever you call them. Uh, the midfield is non-existing. You've got the attacking line, you've got the defense, and nothing yelling it. So uh, those are things that Ronald Koeman have to solve. He's been there for two months now, and uh, it's time to ask Ronald Koeman explanations about why those problems that Barcelona has in midfield, he hasn't been able to address them. I think that Miralem Pjanic can be an answer for that. Maybe if he plays instead of Coutinho or Pedri, he will provide uh, a more experienced uh, asset to the midfield. And uh, then I didn't like Ronald Koeman either at the end of the game when he complained about VAR. Well, VAR is not only applied against Barcelona. Uh, I would say that basically Sergio Ramos knows how to get the better of VAR because he's a very clever player, very tricky. And Lenglet, uh, he was a little bit more naive and he made a penalty that normally the referees don't call in La Liga. And that changed the game completely. Then the 3-1 by Modric just uh, put the, the game to bed and Real Madrid got a very important victory. Mm. How would you evaluate Leo Messi's performance? That's now six games against Real without a goal or an assist for the Argentine. Yeah, and if you see his numbers since uh, the restart of football back in June, uh, they are not very good. I mean, he has scored goals, but mainly in set pieces and uh, mostly penalties. I think he was good for 50, 60 minutes. Very good, I would say. Um, maybe he wasn't... Uh, as good as his best ever performances, but still, he was uh, energetic, he was very present, he did a couple of really good dribblings, uh, one of them on uh, Sergio Ramos that uh, Thibaut Courtois managed to to save when Messi took a shot, then uh, maybe, maybe Casemiro made a penalty on Lionel Messi in the box, I, I think that it was a soft one, but still, you never know with the Spanish referees, because there was a very soft penalty in the Granada-Getafe, and it was called very similar to the challenge of Casemiro on Messi. I think that overall he was good, but uh, you also have to start uh, thinking that that messy narrative of he will do everything to win the game for us, uh, it's been gone for a couple of years. I think like he needs his teammates more than ever, and uh, the more he can trust on the likes of uh, Ansu Fati, Dembele, Griezmann, or whoever surrounds him, the better. So Ansu Fati is definitely one of these uh, associate players that Lionel Messi is finding really refreshing, and I think like he needs more teammates around him that help him more. Mm, he's no Sergio Ramos, for example. Meanwhile, uh, off-field, yet more problems for the Catalan giants after Gerard Pique called out the club's hierarchy for their treatment of Messi prior to the Clásico. This week, uh, we've also seen the Catalan authorities rejecting Barcelona's appeal to suspend the vote of no confidence in the club president. The club had claimed that it risked the health of their members to have the vote. Uh, this is the same club as Colin Miller points out that a week ago was requesting that 30,000 fans attend the Champions League game with French virus. So where does this leave us now? This means that the Voter no confidence process is rolling on, uh, Alvaro? Let's see. Let's see. This is going to be interesting because, as you said, the regional government said no to Barcelona's uh, demand. Uh, and uh, at the minute, at the time of the recording of this podcast, the Barcelona board is having a meeting uh, to see whether they can organize a referendum or not. I wouldn't discard any possibility, not even the board resigning, if they cannot uh, organize a referendum on time, because the referendum was supposed to be on the 1st of November, and they say that it's impossible to organize a clean, safe, and healthy one uh, now in this pandemic context. So let's see uh, what happens, but uh, maybe after we record this podcast, there are some news about it. Okay, well, meantime, Wednesday night sees them in Turin taking on Juventus, Juve with one or two problems of their own 
uh, James Horncastle after their 1-1 draw with Verona. They're lying fifth. They've got nine points so far, three of which were actually <laughs> given to them in that whole Napoli affair. Yeah, they've now drawn uh, three games in a row uh, in Serie A. They fell behind at home to Verona on Sunday night. Um, I thought, as was the case in Cotone, they were a little bit unlucky um, in that in Cotone, for example, uh, Morata hit the post, had a goal disallowed. In this game, he had another goal disallowed. They hit the woodwork twice um, as well. Um, but you can tell that Juventus are still a work in progress. And, you know, one of the reasons for that, look, it's a challenge that all coaches are facing at the moment. They haven't had a preseason. Um, they haven't had friendlies uh, for players to get to know each other better, particularly the new players. Pirlo's trying something that is drastically different uh, from uh, what went before, um, not only with Maurizio Sarri, but also Allegri, Conte um, as well. And they're still without some key players. Now, you know, even without the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, who at the time of recording, still positive for COVID-19, um, without the suspended Federico Chiesa, Delict, Chiellini, Bonucci, who went off in this game injured. And that's going to be a blow for Barcelona because uh, Delict hasn't been cleared to play after shoulder surgery. Chiellini's unlikely to be fit. Uh, Bonucci had a scan this morning. We'll have to see how he does. So yeah, it, it means that there's going to be a very makeshift defence um, for uh, Juventus against Barcelona. Um, but I think uh, given all these circumstances and what Pirlo's trying to do, maybe this this slow start that we're seeing from from Juventus where there are flashes of really interesting stuff is is to be expected. A mm. couple of questions quickly from listeners. Mastrelli, maths tutor, for all your maths needs, asks, do you think Andrea Pirlo has improved uh, this Juventus? And Curran says, is Pirlo getting a free pass this season or is he actually expected to win something? Are the club still working on bringing in either Zizou or Poch? Because at the moment <laughs> they are not great to watch. Well, I think they are better to watch than the Maurizio Sarri when they were mm. like watching paint dry uh, for, for, for much of last season. Um, and I think uh, Pirlo is trying to do something that is you know, very different um, in the way this team uh, builds up, you know, plays this kind of 3-2-5. It's very attacking, very fluid, almost too much so at times because that leaves Juventus too open. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, they've conceded um, you know, in in all but two of their games against what Sampdoria and Dynamo Kiev, you know, in terms of well, is this a free pass? Uh, no, I don't think any Juventus coach gets a free pass. Um, uh, you are expected to win um, at Juventus. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, what experience you've got, what your status is. Um, you know, Juventus want to win a tenth consecutive league title. They want to win the Champions League. It's something that you know Pirlo has said is a stated aim. Um, Sarri always used to say that was utopia, which didn't particularly go down well. No, it was maybe a little bit more realistic. But I think, yeah, as we saw last last year with, with Sarri, winning things is important to Juventus, but also how you handle yourself is important as well. And I think if Pirlo keeps everybody inside, on side, if, if Pirlo shows that he is making progress and this, this team has... Uh, great potential, then they will stand by him. I think ultimately what what did for Sarri was the fact that his relationship with certain key players completely deteriorated, um, mm. and uh, and that was that was the end of that. Indeed. All right. So this game then on Wednesday, standout fixture, I, I would say from match <laughs> day two. Uh, Jules, what do you think? Who's going to win? I think it's a great. It's a, it's a shame, of course, that Cristiano isn't there. Um, Is he definitely not going to be there? Well, we we can't. We can't say at the moment because the virus is in control. You know, he is positive at the time of recording. He needs to test negative at least 24 hours before the game itself. Um, and then he has to undergo a medical as well because it has to be established what effect the virus has had on uh, on his body. Um, Can they do the medical in Perugia? Is that is that an option? No, well, they've got their own bespoke medical facility. Right, uh, okay. Juventus, J, J Medical. Um, and I think in some respects, uh, w was this game all going ahead in Barcelona, I think he would be already ruled out. Um, I think that the fact that it's in Turin um, gives them a little bit more time. It allows them to have, have the medical uh, there and then. Uh, obviously, he would have to travel with the team if they were going to Barcelona. So 
at the moment, it's very touch and go. Last Thursday, Juventus sent all the paperwork to UEFA um, to update them on the situation, which you, know, you are obliged to do as per UEFA's protocol. Um, if they hadn't done that, he would already be ineligible for this game. Um, I suppose you know what was what was curious was that um, Weston McKenney he tested positive after Cristiano. He's already been cleared. He was in the squad to play against Verona. Um, didn't play, and I think that's another thing to consider here is that often when these players are cleared to play 24 hours or whatever it is be- uh, before a game, they end up not playing because they haven't trained for two weeks. Right, but they, Ronaldo. They it is Ronaldo, um, but I think I think this is very, very touch and go. And, you know, as we've seen uh, at Juventus um, over the course of the last six months, Dybala, for example, took 46 days to test negative it varies from person to person mm. how how long or how short this go yeah this this period of of being positive is yeah for sure Jules sorry yeah no I was just I, I just think I, I don't think Barcelona can defend uh, and I think Juventus with the makeshift defense of probably Demiral Quadrado and Danilo which is which is a joke of a defense I think it should be quite fun. We should easily see like a 4-3 win for someone. And I like, I like what I saw from Dybala against Verona. I think he, yeah. he looked really sharp and in great form. So, I don't know. I would say a 3-3 draw, but um, yeah, you almost guaranteed goals. I wouldn't be surprised about that. I'm following on what Jules is saying. Gerard Piquet is out of the game as well. And he's probably yeah, the most important yeah. defender at Barcelona. And uh, Philippe Coutinho is out as well. Uh, this... Is a blessing in disguise, perhaps for Ronald Koeman, because as I said before, he can uh, lead the way to uh, Miralem Pjanic, uh, the former Juventus player. I believe that Pjanic can be important at this Barcelona, considering how inconsistent they are. But yes, uh, they don't defend very well, that's for sure. Well, Real Madrid, who beat Barcelona at the weekend, will be in action on Tuesday, meanwhile. And we'll get on to that with the rest of the Tuesday action after this. It's the start of lockdown two out there, listeners, so grab your curry verse, dust off your lederhosen and fire up the umpar band. Thank you. Because it's Oktoberfest and our friends at Beer52 want to celebrate the world's biggest beer festival by giving all Totally listeners a free case of eight German craft beers. All you have to do is head to beer52.com slash football and cover the cost of shipping, which is a mere £5.95. Beer 52, as you all know by now, are beer pioneers and they've visited the finest small batch breweries in Germany to bring you ABK, 6% Feistbier, Buro Brauereis, Weizen, Lemkes Spree Coast German IPA and many, many more. Most of these beers have never, ever been seen in the UK and with Brexit round the corner, well, it's unlikely you'll ever see them again. You can choose a light, dark or mixed case and the best thing with Beer 52 is that there's absolutely no minimum commitment. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and get your free case of eight craft beers today. That's the word beer and the number 52.com slash football. One last time, beer52.com slash football for Oktoberfest. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Tuesday, Champions League action gets underway with the champions themselves, Bayern Munich. They're on a 13-game winning streak in this competition. They are making the trip to Russia to Lokomotiv Moscow. A fresh raffer from a 5-0 win at the weekend over Eintracht Frankfurt. Woof. Uh, another three goals for Robert Lemdusk, who's now, now got 10 goals in his first five Bundesliga matches of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's just been... Unstoppable once more. Frankfurt, not perhaps the best defensive side Bayern will, will meet, but we saw what he did against Atletico, who in theory should be you know one of the tougher teams to play against. Um, th- there's something that seems to have clicked for Bayern over the last eight days or so. They started a little bit slowly. They had that 4-1 defeat at Hoffenheim, but somehow that rhythm has been re- has been refound and they've played some of the best football actually in 2020 of the last three games, um, which doesn't bode well for the competition in, in Germany and maybe puts them in a, in a decent position for the Champions League as well, although things can change until May, as we know. But yeah, it's been it's been really good from Bayern. 
The only uh, negative is the uh, injury to Alfonso Davis, who only two minutes into the game against Eintracht Frankfurt slipped, went over his ankle and ruptured a ligament and will be out for two months. Um, bearing in mind that Bayern don't have a lot of cover in these positions, it does uh, put a lot of strain on Lucas Hernandez, who doesn't want to play it necessarily either. So that is the the one problem, if you want, that Bayern have. But apart from that, um, their performances have been have been hugely impressive. Uh, Archer in Tup pointing out that Lewandowski has now scored more on his own in this Bundesliga season than every other Bundesliga side, apart from Dortmund and Leipzig. The only team that is keeping pace with uh, with Bayern for uh, scoring goals is Sassuolo. Right. Sassuolo, what, what about yeah. Ajax? Are they not? <laughs> well, that's not top five league, is it? All right. That's okay. Mm, Sassuolo, indeed. All right. Bayern on that incredible run, and you think it should be reasonably plain sailing for them, Rafa, away in Moscow? I think so. Um, it's tough to see anyone um, who's not quite that the. the at the real height of European football, being able to to resist this Bayern team, the only problem I, I might foresee is if Bayern, for some reason, take it, you know take this as a given and underestimate uh, Lokomotiv. But it's been a hallmark of this team that they don't tend to do that, um, with the exception of the Hoffenheim game, perhaps. So, I think Bayern should be should be okay for three points tomorrow. Mm. Okay. Also from that group, uh, Atletico Madrid, who Bayern beat four nil in their opening game of the group stage. We'll be taking on Rebel Salzburg, who had a 2-2 draw with Lokomotiv a week ago. Also from the Bundesliga in Champions League action, Borussia Mönchengladbach on Tuesday are going to be hosting Real Madrid. Their first meeting, excitingly, since the 1985 UEFA Cup last 16, which famously Borussia Mönchengladbach, managed in those days by Jupp Heynckes, won 5-1 in the opening leg in Germany. Jetzt läuft die Angriffsmaschine der Borussia. Hannes Pass, Kriens, Tor! Super! Uwe Rahn! But then lost the return leg 4-0 in Madrid and went out on away goals. Mönchengladbach have never qualified from the group in their two previous appearances. They looked good, though, at San Siro a week ago. Yeah, they did. Um, they very nearly got a win. Perhaps it would have been slightly fortunate, but they were well worth the point, and... You know, this is a team that has not really played regularly against the likes of Inter, very good Inter side. So yeah, very, very encouraging to see them, you know, progress um, to the point that they can compete with Inter. And I think if he can push Inter all the way, there's absolutely no reason why this dysfunctional Madrid team might not be vulnerable as well. Um, right. They they didn't look so good defensively against Mainz. Um, they conceded two goals, but then made a few changes and actually had a lot of depth on the on the bench and then once again found a way of winning the game. So a really good week for, for Gladbach, all told. And I've got a slight suspicion that they might do something special against Real Madrid. I mean, they were very clinical against Inter. I mean, two shots on target, two goals, one of which was a penalty. The other came from that uh, quite remarkable pass that James compared with Kaká for Crespo. Because it was Kaká-esque. <laughs> it really was. Go At the time, everyone was horrified, and I understand that. It's always, we're disturbing some sacred legends with this. But if you look at the ball, I don't know if he meant it in the same way that Kaká clearly did. But in terms of the, in terms of the distance, the vision that it implied, I, I think it's not, a, not beyond the realms of comparison anyway. Mm. But yeah. in, Sorry. Anyway, James, if... Yes. Um, Gladbach scored uh, two goals against Inter in, in two shots on target. Uh, that's more terrifying than anything for Real Madrid because the quality of this group is, is really high. I mean, Inter, Shakhtar, Borussia, Mönchengladbach, they are all very good. And uh, whoever has a deep inform and uh, a deep inform that lasts only two weeks is going to be in trouble. And I think mm. that this game is for Real Madrid much more important than El Clásico in long term because uh, if they lose now uh, in Germany they'll be in real, in real trouble and I don't think that they'll be able to revert the situation they will find it very difficult Really? They're only one point behind at the moment because Mönchengladbach and Inter shared the points uh, in the opening game at San Siro but as you say if they're not careful it could go uh, very awry Shakhtar and Inter will be facing each other meantime on Tuesday They met two months ago How did that go, James? Very well for Inter. Uh, they were really impressive. It was the, the Europa League semi-final. 
Um, Lukaku scored, and to be honest, Lukaku hasn't stopped scoring since then. This season, he scored in all but one of his eight games for club and country. He has gone to an altogether different level. Um, I think he's reached a kind of stage of maturity now uh, where he's not just scoring goals, but he's leading the team. He takes the team on his back. Um, and But I, uh, you know, Inter go to Ukraine in a precarious position. If they lose this, they're going to go into that double header against Real Madrid with one point, um, which is an unenviable position to, uh, to find themselves in. Conte was keen to point out uh, that in the Gladbach game that they dominated possession, they had 17 shots to Gladbach six, um, and they didn't have Hakimi. You know, and Hakimi has been pretty key for them since they signed him from Dortmund. He was ruled out at 5 p.m. on that match day, um, and all of a sudden they had to completely uh, reconfigure around that. Ashley Young, for example, was still positive for COVID-19 at the time. Another one of their options down that side, they'd sold Kandreva. So that was it. That was an issue. They'll have him back for this game against Shakhtar. Um, but I suppose of all the teams that were decimated by COVID nineteen in their first match week mm. of the uh, of the Champions League, it was Shakhtar, and it didn't matter. They still managed to to, to beat Real Madrid. So um, it'll be an interesting interesting game. This certainly will. Just going back to Real Madrid's game away in uh, Mönchengladbach, some important team news. Alvaro, yes, of course. Uh, let's see how fit he is, but. Uh, Eden Hazard is in the squad to, to play in Germany. Uh, he's got the match fitness, at least, but uh, well, he hasn't played uh, since uh, the beginning of August. And uh, if the game is hard for Real Madrid, uh, I expect him to play a few minutes. And uh, really, it's a mystery to everybody how his fitness is going to be because there have been some pictures of Eden Hazard just a little bit overweight. And uh, of course, uh, this hasn't been the first injury that he has suffered at Real Madrid. It has been the third or the fourth. But yeah, he's back in the in the match day squad. Excellent. All right. Well, quick look at some of the other games coming up on Tuesday. Manchester City are visiting Marseille, while Liverpool hosts Midtjylland from the ever-fascinating Group D, which also features Atalanta and Ajax. We'll come back to that in a second, but Marseille at Jules, who had a bad start to their Champions League campaign with defeat away to Olympiacos. What are their prospects here? So they won at the weekend, at least on Friday, uh, on Saturday, sorry, at Lorient, which is which was a good win for them in, in difficult conditions with the wind and the, the rain and everything. And what I find the most interesting is that Dimitri Payet was, was suspended, was not there. So they played in a different formation with the diamond midfield with Michael Cuisance, the former Bayern Munich midfielder, playing behind um, Tovin and Benedetto, the two, two strikers, if you want. And, and I thought that worked really well. I thought he played like that the week before. And they won at Bordeaux. The balance of the team was right. I thought they were they were really strong collectively too. And I just I just wonder if the issue maybe is is Payet in the end. We saw against Olympiacos that he had a terrible game and just had no influence at all on the on the game. And and be interesting to see what what AVB does against City because Payet would be available for him and and you know what what kind of formation he goes for. He said that they were preparing and working on something. To, to counter a city, uh, and we asked him in his press conference today, uh, you know, would you would you look at what Lyon did, for example, in Champions League? And he goes, you can't ask a Marseille manager to get inspiration from a from a Lyon game, which I thought was obviously a very good answer, considering the rivalry between the two Olympics. So, but but it'd be very interesting, and and like you said, they have to do something, otherwise. Qualifying for the last 16 would be even harder. But when you look at City and the way they're playing and they're not in great form either, maybe maybe Marseille have a chance. It's just a shame there's no fans there because this is this is clearly the kind of game against the City team a bit, you know, in with doubts and not in great form. This is kind of game at the Velodrome if you had the whole 60,000 people that would really play the sort of 12-man role and it's a real shame they're not there. But. Mm. No Aguero, we're also not there, no, no Gabriel Jesus, no Fernandinho. So a good time perhaps to be taking on Definitely. Man City, who this, I think, might be Andre Villas-Burs' first encounter with since he went to the Etihad as Spurs manager uh, three weeks before getting fired by Tottenham and lost 6-0. Of course, that was a different city as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I guess he was a different AVB. I think a lot of things have happened to him since since that defeat. You know, he, the he started playing football. Then he went to something completely different. I, you know, I don't, 
I don't know if he if he went into rally thinking that he will ever come back to this kind of level as a manager mm. or not. He always said that he doesn't want to manage for too long anyway. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely. I I feel that he's we're certainly a better manager now than he was back then. He's he's obviously more mature and older and and all of that. I think tactically he's better than he was then. And I you know I do think that he would relish this this chance against Pep against City. Uh, to bring a bit of life into the match, I think he was really disappointed by the game against Olympiacos and mm. he, by the performance. He took the blame, but I think he knew that the players really didn't do him any favors either. So it'd be a very, very, I think, very interesting game. Why doesn't he want to manage for too long? It's only just down the road. Because <laughs> it's a rugby city, you know. So ah, okay. He, I, he right. might find it hard to manage rugby. Fair enough. Uh, group D: Liverpool hosting Michelin. And in that group, Atalanta hosting Ajax. Any thoughts on Liverpool Michelin? Anybody? James, you saw them in action against Atalanta? I did. Uh, they weren't able to muster all that much, I must say. Um, they had a couple of opportunities from set pieces, which, given that they were already 3-0 down after half an hour, um, tricky for them to, to, to come back. Isn't isn't uh, isn't Liverpool's throw-in coach from... Uh, did, did, not he, did he yeah. not hail from Michelin? Thomas Gronmark, he used to, I don't think he works for them anymore, but I think he worked for Ajax as well. So that's basically his Champions League group. Crazy. All right. Well, that's what's going to be going on at Anfield. Elsewhere, Atlanta in that group hosting Ajax. Ajax narrowly beaten by Liverpool last Wednesday, but managing to bounce back this weekend by scraping to a <laughs> narrow win <laughs> over... <laughs> Over VVV Venlo, oh. uh, 13-0. Let's hear more about that with our pal Mikhail Jongsma. Mikhail, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this weekend, then, a routine Eredivisie clash between Ajax and mid-table VVV Venlo. Uh, when did you twig that this was going to be something quite different? Well, uh, at first, I wasn't too convinced this would be a spectacular game at all. And uh, at that point time it was probably not the most uh, yeah attractive game in the time slot as well with some games going on elsewhere but yeah in the in the first half Ajax were quite dominant FIFA didn't really seem up for it uh, and it was a, a quite an easy 4-0 uh, halftime score but still like this could be more of a Bayern kind of dominance mm. when rather than something like truly extraordinary that we haven't seen for the ages but yeah, the, when the red card fell uh, for Christian Com, uh, after 50 minutes, uh, the floodgates went open, and from that point on, Ajax meant business, and uh, yeah, they they never really stopped after. Right. So they scored another nine goals in the second half. In total, there were 45 shots for Ajax. Lasana Traore, Bertrand Traore's cousin, of course, Villavant, scoring five. Just r- remarkable. Uh, the, the difference between this and the Liverpool game obviously lies to an extent in the quality of the opponents, but did something happen between the two games to unleash this this kind of preternatural force of goal scoring? Well, to an extent, Lassina Traore happened, of course, because he wasn't uh, in the starting lineup against Liverpool. But uh, to be completely honest, I, th- I don't think anyone expected this kind of performance from him. He got five goals and three assists. Uh, I think in the summer there were rumours of him being loaned out because he does- doesn't really feel like an Eredivisie-ready striker uh, yet. But, well, this this performance might have changed minds here and there. Uh, but the funny thing is, I mean, he, he's been involved in eight goals and he's he's not even a sure starter for the next game for Ajax. And it kind of tells you uh, both how ridiculous that game was, but also the kind of depth that Ajax have at this point. Mm. The previous game, meanwhile, Mikael, what was the reaction to that in the Netherlands, the 1-0 defeat at home to Liverpool? Uh, very much a missed, missed opportunity uh, in, in this case. I think uh, a lot of people felt that Ajax edged the first half. Uh, of course, they were the only one to score, but it wasn't the wrong goal. Uh, and the second half, they, they looked a bit blunt and uh, a bit uninspired, really. Um, I think the main criticism has been that there wasn't really a plan B in that second half. It kind of went, uh, well, we'll throw the kitchen sink at Liverpool and see what happens. And uh, that was quite easy for Liverpool to defend to. But yeah, I think for Ajax, this next game against Atalanta feels like a make-or-break game in terms of Champions League survival. Mm. Um, although, to be fair, the Michelin result against uh, Atalanta gives them hope to at least survive um, in European competition this winter. 
Right. Of the last seven group stage appearances, they've only made it out to the last 16 once, Ajax. In terms of players available, Lassina Traore presumably is now going to be in the squad for the trip to Bergamo. What about Anthony? Anthony is expected to be there as well. Uh, Klaatien Huntelaar isn't, so the old old wily fox who kind of fits that Serie A narrative won't be available, but very exciting. Brian Broby is is there. A uh, young talent has been uh, lighting up the young Ajax team this season. Uh, very complete striker and, and definitely one to keep an eye on as well. Give us the name again. Brian Broby. Okay. Yeah, he was the one, Mikael, who I would say people were more excited about going into the season than Lassina Traore, in part because what he's been the front man for Holland on the 19 sides that have won the European Championships, for example, beating the Italy of Moise Ken and, uh, and Nicolo Zaniolo. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that age group in, in general, in terms of strikers, just has ridiculous depth. It's... Uh... Uh, yeah, in terms of attacking talent, the Dutch have something to look forward to. But to be fair, like uh, Burkina Faso have as well, going by this weekend's result. Uh, including for young Dutch talent, Ruud Hullet's son, who uh, featured in last Thursday's Europa League victory for AZ Alkmaar away in Naples. Yeah, and that that is uh, that for me is one of the most baffling things in general. Not so much that Maxim Gullet is a talented football uh, footballer, given his 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 genes. His mother is a niece of uh, of the late Johan Cruyff. His dad is Ruud Gullet, so he's bound to be a superstar nonetheless. But the fact that AZ uh, lost, they had they can't get a win, uh, even if they well whatever they do at this point in the league, uh, they actually drew FFA last week to two, uh, <laughs> and and well. Apparently, it's easier to grind out a result against the second-place Serie A team, Napoli, for them than it is against FFA. So the Eredivisie is a, is a quite a, a rare league in general. Yeah. What, what was the explanation, do you think, James, from a, a Napoli perspective for that performance? Well, they dominated for the best part of an hour of that game, um, but their their domination was sterile uh, for the most part of it. They didn't create um, all too many problems for, for RZ. I thought the goal scorer, um, DeWitt, played very well for, for RZ. Not not someone who seems to stand out in anything, but seemed to be like a 6 out of 10 in, in everything. And... Uh, and was was quite frustrating for them, not only in the goal that he scored, but just his his all round play. Um, I thought they they it was one of those games where I felt that Arz had just came up and had a game plan that was quite simple, stuck to it, and uh, Napoli just got more and more frustrated. Um, and and yeah, they're they're up against it now because what their their next game in this group is going to be against uh, Real Sociedad, Real Sociedad who, yeah. probably the team that they went into that that group thinking they're they're the ones that are going to rival us or or at least I, I, maybe RZ would look at Real, Real Sociedad and say look that's the team that we have to be finishing competing with to finish second because I think most people certainly on the form that Napoli have shown in Serie A would be saying that yeah Napoli should win this group. RZ off to a terrific start then, and they'll be hosting, meanwhile, Rijeka of Croatia. Uh, Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to more exciting updates from the Eredivisie and its teams soon. Bye, James. Mikhail Youngsberg. Alvaro, Real Sociedad, still top of La Liga, by the way. Yeah, defending uh, this position, which is... Uh they are the first team that they have defended the leadership in this 2020-21 uh, La Liga season. And uh, they are doing very well. Uh, they managed to beat uh, 4-1 Huesca with a really good display from uh, Mikel Oyarzabal. And uh, I would like to single out as well David Silva because he gave uh, two assists. And one of them was so good that even the goal scorer didn't expect it. Uh, Porto, you can see that... Uh, a second before he scored, he was still looking for the ball that was perfectly timed and passed to him, but he didn't know where the ball was coming from. Silva was uh, played really well. I think that it was important for Real Sociedad that Isaac, the Swedish striker, scored too, because uh, he can um, he can be one of those uh, differential players as well. And yeah, Real Sociedad, they are still topping the table in the Europa League. They started in the right foot, uh, beating Rijeka easily. And uh, I think that the game against Napoli is going to be one of the good ones because Napoli uh, will know the threat that they can uh, 
that they can mean um, and uh, the game at the Real Arena is going to be very interesting, interesting to see uh, if Real Sociedad are up for it as well in the European stage and uh, another word about uh, Oyarzabal if I may I mean he's incredible he's only 23 years old uh, by the way yesterday was the fifth anniversary of his debut in the in La Liga Uh, by the way, it was David Moyes who gave him uh, the chance. And uh, he has scored 12 penalties out of 12 in La Liga. He has scored already more than 50 goals for Real Sociedad. And this is quite impressive. Uh, this player, I think that he, he, he's got all the future ahead of him. And this is one of the players that uh, probably this summer is going to be very coveted by all the European teams. Uh, because Oyarzabal is young, he's good, he's quick, and he can score. Brilliant. And James just returned to the Atalanta Ajax game. What of the Bergamaschi? who had the 4-0 win over Midtjylland last midweek, prior to that had been defeated by Napoli and got beaten at home this time around by Sampdoria, the back-to-back league defeats. What's going on? Well, what's going on is that they had Ajax uh, on the brain um, going into this this match. They made seven changes. Um, and as I was saying with, with Andrea Pirlo and Juventus, Yeah, Gasparini hasn't had a pre-season to drill his ideas into the new players. Those new players haven't had friendlies um, to get to know their new teammates. So he looked at Samp, he thought, well, I'm going to try our new new wing-backs, Mojica and uh, Di Paoli. Uh, Mojica gave away a penalty. Uh, Di Paoli was hooked uh, fairly soon afterwards, I think at the beginning of the, the second half. Um, Sam Lammers, who has scored from the bench, Uh, already a couple of goals started, but you could see he wasn't on the same wavelength as as Papu Gomez. And uh, despite dominating possession, you know they kept crashing against the rocks of that Samp defense. Mm. Um, and uh, Claudio Ranieri, um, who called his players cowards after that 3-0 defeat to uh, Pilos uh, Juventus on the opening day, and then they went and lost, I think, to uh, Benevento, who won three straight. They've beaten some good sides as well. The Lazio team, for example, that beat Dortmund in midweek. They've beaten Fiorentina away from home. They've beaten, obviously, Atalanta away from home. And it was Ranieri's birthday uh, last week, and uh, he got to celebrate by beating Gasparini again because I think they've they've met nine times now, and he is Gasparini kryptonite because he's won six of them. Wow. They're up in seventh place now, Sampdoria. Level uh, on points with Atalanta, who are just ahead of them on goal differences, you might expect them being Atlanta. Brilliant. We'll hear more about Serie A, Milan being on top and all that kind of thing and that Benevento-Napoli game a little bit later on. But next up, on to Wednesday's action in the Champions League, which features such delights as Chelsea and Russia and Man United against the Bundesliga leaders, RB Leipzig. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus big gamble The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Raphael Honigstein, it's tied at the top of the Bundesliga, the top three separated by just one point. But in first place, RB Leipzig and off to an absolute flyer. Six wins in seven in all competitions, four straight victories and taking on Man United uh, this midweek. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that I think they have a chance against Man United. It's perhaps not the ideal opposition because Leipzig would prefer a team that has more of the ball and plays a bit more freely um, united themselves are best on the counter-attack of course but Leipzig collectively look look very strong they have Marcel Sabitzer coming back the captain he had a 20-minute cameo where he um, very nearly scored a goal and then converted a penalty that gave Leipzig the 2-1 win against Hertha 10-man Hertha at that point as uh, uh, had been sent off but Yeah, this is, a, this is a good Leipzig team and this is a Leipzig team that perhaps is still improving relative to the Leipzig team that we saw last year going to the semi-final. So I spoke to Marcel Sabitzer uh, about a week ago 
uh, for an interview in The Athletic. And he seemed very confident without being in any shape or form um, dismissive of, of United. Um, there was a sense that Leipzig are not in fear of any team in Europe at the moment. And mm. I think they're at least good for a point. Well, they made it all the way to the semi-finals a couple of months ago in, at the end of last season's competition. They got this one underway with a 2-0 victory over Turkish champions Basak Shahir. Lovely brace from Angelino on loan from Man City. So this will be a special game for him. Jules, you were at Old Trafford this Saturday. Did you have fun? Yeah, I was. You know what? I Everybody said it was a bad game. Everybody, even in the stadium, the, like our friend Ian Hervin, for example, who was there with me, and I don't know. I liked. I liked it. I liked the intensity. I liked. I liked the fact that I saw Cavani in a red shirt and mm. Thiago Silva in a blue shirt that were not PSG shirts. I liked that they they faced each other and and Thiago uh, marked Cavani for the last what, half an hour or something. I, 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 there was a lot of intensity. Of course, Chelsea went there to defend, and United were not very good going forward anyway without Pogba. But I thought there was a lot of very interesting things tactically when Pogba came on. I was hoping that. Solskjaer would play a front two of Rashford and, and Cavani, but that didn't happen. There, yeah, there was a lot of good good stuff, I thought, but I was the only one, so hmm. maybe right. maybe I'm the problem. OK, maybe it was the fact that they come off that magnificent result in Paris, but Rafa, the way that Leipzig play, the chances of Man United being able to, to, to pull the same tactical trick again? Yeah, there, there is a chance. I mean, Leipzig under Nagelsmann want to have the ball. They're, they're much more of a possession side there. They're not that good if they they play deep and and try to counter attack. They tried against PSG, it didn't really work in the semi final, so they have to play the natural game. And United are quite happy to to play on the break, so it's not it's not a straightforward proposition. But I just think collectively, Leipzig tactically are on a much higher level than this United team. United still have superb players, and and Leipzig are very wary of that. But I think in terms of you know, comparing teams who are coached well and know what they're doing on the pitch, I think Leipzig are far superior, but that might not be enough. James, I was covering the, the game as well this Saturday, the Manchester United-Chelsea. Well, Manchester United is in their worst ever um, run of form in the Premier League. Premier League. Uh, they haven't won five games uh, in the competition at home uh, successively, uh, which is something uh, that didn't happen uh, for a long time now, maybe 30 years or so. And at the same time, you get the feeling that if uh, Manchester United uh, sparks or if they have any surprise factor, it has to come from an individuality. But in Leipzig, it's different. I mean, the players change positions a lot. As Rafael was saying, Nagelsmann um, is probably a much more complex manager than uh, Solskjaer. And also in Leipzig, 10 players have scored at least one goal this season, uh, which tells you that uh, the positions are not that fixed in that team. A player like Angelino, for example, he can uh, break into the box and score a beautiful goal, as he did uh, in the previous week in the Champions League. So uh, I think that there is a complexity in Leipzig that Manchester United cannot match at all. OK. Wow, sounds like that's going to be a tough game on Wednesday. Chelsea, meanwhile, the other half of Saturday's Thrillfest, will be off in Krasnodar early on Wednesday. Uh, Jules, would you like to preview this one for us? Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I think Krasnodar will have um, a couple of players back, uh, especially Remy Cabela, the, the French playmaker. I think Chelsea, the idea very much has been to work on that defensive shape that we saw the Nil against Sevilla, the Nil against United again. Um, and I would expect them to play once again with the back five, even if Krasnodar doesn't bring the same threat as United or Sevilla. But it'd be very interesting to see, I think, what, what Lampard does. Um, I was, again, you know, I watched a lot of Kai Havertz on Saturday and Timo Werner. Timo Werner didn't really look that happy the way they were playing. And unless you find a way of giving him some service, finding him, finding Havertz, they will always struggle going forward, I think, because Pulisic can't do everything on his own, neither can Werner or Havertz. So... I don't know if the answer is to, to try something a bit different. Maybe have two strikers up front, one with Werner and then maybe Havertz as a number 10 behind. I, you know, I don't know what, what Lampard has to do, but they, they, they certainly they should do much better going forward than what we've seen in the last two games. Mm. Rafa, have you got any view on the way that Havertz has been used so far? Well, I think there was always a danger, James, that uh, Havertz's best game with the ball, a possession game, um, a game with lots of reference points around him, is not what this Chelsea team are at the moment. That might be the destination. That might be where Lampard want, ultimately wants to take them. 
But right now, Chelsea, in my view, are best when they can be quick, when they pay in transition, when they can go wide. And then traffic can bypass Havertz a little bit. So I don't think it's necessarily a case of how he's being used. Is that what he's best at and what Chelsea are best at right now is perhaps not quite on the same wavelength. And I think it's not a total surprise that it perhaps needs a bit more time for both sides to learn how to live with each other. Mm. Chelsea in Group E, where it's as you were, because they all drew last week. Chelsea, of course, goalless with Sevilla. And Krasnodar uh, sharing the points away at Rennes. So very much wide open, this group. Sevilla will be hosting Rennes this time around. They lost to Eibar in the Liga this weekend. Rennes also lost in Ligue 1 against Angers. Uh, what kind of game is this going to be, do you think, Sevilla-Rennes? Well, I think that Sevilla is uh, having a real problem with the scoring. Uh, from the tactical point of view, they are doing many things right. But then, you know, it comes to the point when you need somebody to to tap it in. And Sevilla doesn't have at the minute that uh, that uh, option is not working for them. They haven't scored a single goal in the last three games. And uh, uh, you have to start you know, putting a question tag over, for example, in a city, a player who has been involved in very heavy misses lately, even against Eibar, I remember against Bayern as well. All that said, I think that uh, Sevilla at home should be favorite for this game. And uh, let's see if Jules Kunde can be part of the squad. So far, he hasn't been uh, uh, cleared from his COVID-19, but there is still, uh, according to Sevilla uh, reporters, that there is still a chance that he can make it to the squad. I think it's very unlikely, but he will, of course, improve the team. And uh, yeah, Sevilla, if they get a win this time, I think they will be in course to qualify for the next uh, round. Okay. Well, after this, let's touch on one or two of the other Wednesday games, which feature Paris Saint-Germain, Dortmund, and Lazio too. I don't know about you, listener, but these days, you know, when you're doom scrolling through the news on Twitter or you're just bewildered by who Man United haven't signed this week or you're swiping through your dating apps, yes, apps plural, it can be pretty hard to find the hours in the day to sit down and just learn more. And if you think you don't have the time to develop yourself, you need to check out Blinkist. Blinkist is for anyone who's time poor but wants to be knowledge rich. The app takes the key insights from over 3,000 non-fiction bestsellers and gathers them together in 15-minute blinks, which are text and audio explainers that help you understand more about the core ideas. 12 million people are already using Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in areas like personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness and happiness, and I am one of them. I like to get my daily walks in, and recently I've been listening to the very excellent and influential Think Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And next up is Mark Manson's New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. You'd hope that one of those two will help me live my best life. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Blinkist want to give you a free seven-day trial and 25% off their premium membership. All you need to do is head to Blinkist.com slash athletic. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash athletic. Come on, what are you waiting for? Take out your seven-day trial today and get 25% off at Blinkist.com slash athletic. Blinkist. Big ideas in small packages. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Paris Saint-Germain, has there been much fallout from them losing at home to Man United in Paris? They had a 4-0 win against Dijon at the weekend with a brace for Moise Kane and one for Mbappé as well. How's the mood? So the mood wasn't great at all. The few days after the United defeat where where the pressure was back on Tuchel, of course, where you know we looked deep into how bad collectively they were, what happened between that team that played so much as a team in the final eight and the one that didn't play as a team at all on Tuesday against uh, United. So yeah, there was a lot of... I thought there was a lot of negativity around it, and rightly so, because they were really shocking on the night. The win at the weekend against Dijon didn't change anything, really. They still, I think it's the fourth, fourth year in a row that Dijon lose 4-0 in Paris. So there's nothing... Knew that. What was funny about the game was that uh, Thomas Tuchel played Marquinhos in midfield and Danilo Pereira uh, at the in at back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Thomas Tuchel has asked all summer for a centre back. He really pushed for <laughs> Rudiger. Leonardo, the PSG sporting director, kept saying, like, you don't need a centre back and certainly not Rudiger, even on loan. Tuchel can't do anything. Then Danilo arrives, who is a a pure number six, like a proper holding midfielder, a very good one, I, I think, as well. And yet, first league game of the season when Danilo is starting, 
Tuchel puts him as centre-back and move Marquinhos up to midfield and saying to us after the game, well, Marquinhos is the heart of this team, you know, everything goes through him, he's normally plays in midfield and you think like, what are you doing? Why are you winding up people like this? Why are you winding up Leonardo like this? Why are you doing that to him? You know, they had a clash three weeks ago, they sort of made friends again and now they clash again because clearly that was a message and a sign you know, sent to Leonardo was saying, look, I do what I want. This is maybe not my club. This is your club, but I do what I want. If I want to put Marquinhos in midfield and the midfielder at the back, I can do that. I can do whatever I want. And it was just, it was just funny. It's like, it's like a school playground. Mm. Well, they'll be off in Istanbul on Wednesday, Paris Saint-Germain. Quick word for Leon, who meanwhile this weekend notched up a whopping 4-1 win over Monaco, where things are starting to go wrong for Niko Kovac. She's lost... Four of his last five league matches. Good stuff from Leon, though. Yeah, they were 4 0 up at halftime with 26% of possession. It was just, it was exactly what we expected. Monaco played and played quite well for that first half, created the, the, the biggest chances, chances, sorry, at nil nil. And then they got absolutely done on the counter four times. And that was it. It was so, it was fascinating to watch. Well done to Leon, although it, all the games won't be that easy. And Monaco, you have to feel for their sort of naivety in a way. And you you see what Kovac tried to do. And there was a lot of good things. It was just like, you know, they were done so easily by just a few counter-attacking uh, you know, moves. But yeah. Mm. OK, let's finish off with a quick look at Group F from Wednesday's Champions League action, where Bruges will be hosting Lazio and Borussia Dortmund take on Zenit St. Petersburg. Dortmund fresh from a whopping 3-0 win in the Revier derby against Schalke. Rafa? They played really well, James. They played like a team that was embarrassed about their non-performance against Lazio and, and used poor Schalke as a, as a lightning rod for all that aggression and anger. And it begged the question, why can't they play like that all the time? And the finger mm. always points at Lucien Favre. Of course, also points at the team. But ultimately, the team is the responsibility of the coach. And people just have a really hard time understanding why Dortmund sometimes just don't turn up at all. Um, Lazio was one of those games. The Schalke game was the opposite. Of course, Schalke were <laughs> very uh, poor position and not able to live on the same uh, planet uh, as Dortmund were concerned, footballistically speaking. But... There is, I think, hope or at least a bit of optimism that this much more angry, aggressive Dortmund playing in a 4-3-3, which is Lucien Favre's preferred system, can maybe take a bit of that pressing and a bit of that commitment that they've shown and, and take that forward into the next few games because the personnel is there to, to play really well. What, what is that now for Schalke? Is it 21 Bundesliga games without a win? Yeah. Mm, not good. Well, that's it for Wednesday's action. Uh, in a second or two, let's answer one or two of your questions and touch a little bit on Thursday night's fun in the Europa League. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. James, let's talk about the Insigne brothers and their role in Napoli's 2-1 winner at Benevento. Yeah, they came up against each other um, for the first time. I think they had actually played together briefly uh, seven years ago when um, Roberto Insigne came on uh, for Mary Kemsic and got. How, how old Roberto? Is he is he younger? So Roberto is is younger uh, mm. by I think three years, and uh, he scored the opening goal in this uh, local derby uh, between uh, Benevento and Napoli. And you could see how much it meant to him when he went down and I think shed a few tears. And after the game, he said, um, I've got nothing against the city. I've got nothing against Neapolitans. I was born and raised there. Obviously, I love my brother, uh, but I really wanted to score against the club that just didn't believe in me. Um, and uh, he was let go. He had to not start at the bottom of the Italian football pyramid, but... I think one of the strange ironies is that um, it was uh, Napoli's current sporting director, um, Giuntoli, who who discovered him uh, playing in some random game, which I think uh, Roberto Insigne's side lost 7 or 8-2, probably playing Ajax or something. 
um, and uh, brought him to Karpi. Karpi went up from the third division to the second division to the first division. Um, but as has been the case throughout uh, his career so far, uh, when he's got promoted with a side, um, he's been considered a second division player. So, for example, he was part of the Parma team that came up to City a couple of years ago and was then sent back down um, to the second division, uh, has come up with Benevento. And I think the great thing about uh, this story is that both of them are wingers, uh, but in Lorenzo Insigne's case, he plays on the left and is right-footed. Um, and in uh, Roberto's case, he plays on the right and is left-footed. Um, so <laughs> they, they they could, in theory, play on the same team. Um, and uh, Lorenzo Insigne's goal, the equaliser, was just magnificent. One of the best, I think, in the league that we saw this uh, this weekend, uh, along with Vlad Kirikesh's uh, thunderbolt in the fog for, for Sassuolo against, uh, against Torino. Um, but yeah, Lorenzo Insigne's goal had everything uh, outside of the box, weak of foot, hit the bottom of the bar. Did it go in? Didn't it go in? The buzz uh, goes through the referee's uh, watch uh, from uh, GLT technology. I know you love that, Jules. Um, yeah. GLT. And, uh, G- GLT. GLT. <laughs> and, uh, and there you go. It was uh, a nice day for, for both of them, really. It's four of them, right? It's four boys, like the Hazards and the Mondondas. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's uh, there's a full brood of uh, of Insignes, but Insignes. Uh... Well, Napoli move up to third place now in Serie A, level with Sassuolo, top of the pile. Just give a quick heads up, at Milan, who have a big game this evening, so they're top with a game in hand, which is against Roma Monday night. Uh, not this evening for you, listener. Uh, of course, don't know how that one went. Uh, Milan did have a terrific win away at Celtic last Thursday. Uh, Andrew Lang wants to flag up uh, another Scottish side in Thursday night action, though. Rangers and Kimar Roos, extraordinary strike against Standard Liège. Andrew Lang says Stephen Gerrard said it was the best goal he's ever seen live. I know you were there for where's goal, Jimbo. What about everyone else? What's the best goal they've ever seen live? Alvaro. Yes, uh, this is something that we... It's probably unknown for the general public, but uh, Santi Ezquerro, playing for Athletic de Bilbao, scored a bicycle kick from outside the box against Villarreal, I believe. And this is the best goal I've ever seen live. I recommend everybody to look for it in YouTube. Okay. Uh, just give us the name again. Santi Ezquerro. He played for Barcelona for a season, but uh, he was uh, an anonymous player in there. All right. Rafa. I was lucky to be there, James, in 2002 when Zinedine Zidane did that famous thing. I don't think I've seen anything since that comes close. Fair enough. Jules? So it's a hard one. Uh, maybe Olivier Giroud and the, that scorpion kick with Arsenal against Crystal Palace on New Year's, New Year's Day. Mm, very nice. That was pretty special. Certainly was. And James Horncastle? You know, I think one of the best um, was Deuce Dempsey. Uh, and yeah. that lob, what, eight minutes from time against Juventus to, to cap that incredible, what, that 5-4 win on aggregate that mm. uh, uh, that Fulham had, that was just an extraordinary night and the I think the best way to finish it off. I see. Magnificent. All right, then, a couple of other questions. Spuds in Water says, when a struggling Premier League player does well in another league like Lukaku, then... People say it's a farmer's league. How come this accusation doesn't work in reverse? Or do people say the same thing in other countries uh, with people like James, who was desperate in La Liga and the Bundesliga, but is lighting up the Premier League? Because it's all down to the ecosystem where you land. As simple as that. I think that Carlo Ancelotti knows how to get the better of uh, James Rodriguez. Mm. And his performance at Real Madrid, it doesn't say anything bad about La Liga or anything good about La Liga. It just, just talks about James Rodriguez, no more than that. And... Uh, it applies to every every single player, I believe. Uh, there have been so many uh, players that in Premier League they were amazing and then they went to La Liga or to Italy and they weren't so. Also, he wasn't exactly bad at Bayern. He just didn't quite do enough to warrant a very expensive transfer. Mm. But do people in other countries not spend so much time writing off other leagues as not being you know, only in the Premier League, etc.? There is a little bit of, of that when uh, a player comes from, I'm sorry, Jules, uh, from France or 
from uh, the Dutch <laughs> league, uh, which I disagree with. But uh, yeah, th there is always that question tag, you know, uh, will they be able to, to be as good in La Liga? But uh, it's not as accentuated as it is in Premier League. Rafa, a uh, question from London33R, just to finish off. What is Bayern's long-term plan when Sané, Nabry and Coman are all fit? Could Sané ever find himself in the same situation he had at City, given Coman's form and, Nabry, and Nabry's as well being proven already? It's a really good question. I mean, initially Sané was bought because Bayern didn't trust Kingsley Coman to play throughout the season without getting injured. Um, he's been very, very susceptible and his form has suffered as a result. Now that he's fully fit, we've seen him, I think, go to a different level. The last few weeks, it's been absolutely outstanding. But Bayern, I think, know that these wingers tend to pick up injuries. Gnabry's had little injuries. Sané has had, has had a big injury. Kingsley Coman has had a series of injuries. And that's why they brought in Douglas Costa as a fourth one to have that cover. So I don't think the question will ever really pose itself okay theoretically you could have the semi-final of the Champions League tomorrow and the three that we that you just mentioned all fit who's going to play that's an issue but I think over the course of the season it's probably not and Bayern are happy that they're all there well I've been happy that you've all been here today Alvaro James Rafa and Jules off you go then let's let enjoy your week enjoy that midweek action and we'll catch up with you soon for now it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media